to the Love Frequency Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Love, and maybe it's high time, here it is, episode 19, that we talk about what is love. Yeah, It's more than a feeling, although it has that component to it. It is a way of being. It is a way of feeling connected cared for, a feeling of belonging, a feeling of acceptance. It is a foundational orientation, basically, to orient ourselves toward love is like a sunflower orienting itself toward the light, right? We need to turn toward it. And when I say foundational, our first responsibility, in my opinion, is to turn toward ourselves. Because if we lack the capacity to truly love and accept ourselves as we are, with all our imperfections, our warts and wrinkles, then we cannot fully turn toward another with that same openness and vulnerability. So think about it for a moment. How do you know when you are grounded in the experience of love and loving kindness, right? We get a sensation in our bodies whenever we're having an experience that's really fully grounded. It's not just, you know, thinking about it. So if you take a few moments to recall times when you felt that sense of deep connection worth, belonging. What happens in your body? I mean, I can't help but smile. I mean, one of the most easily accessible ways, I think, is if you have an affinity for animals, is to call up some interactions that you've had with your furry friends. You know, animals are much less likely to disappoint us in that experience of love. You know, they're so unconditional and so present. And we humans, we need to go to school on that. We need to learn from our animal friends how to really show up in the present with this unabashed, full-out, enthusiastic embracing of our essence. Like, what if we could live like that? Imagine the delight If you don't have experience with animals and unconditional love, maybe you can call it up from your own imagination, from from what you have witnessed in others. Like, I find movies that have scenes of reunions at airports, (laughs) like I think in the movie Love Actually, there's this great scene of all these people embracing in airports. And it just moves me to tears, that, that feeling of longing and reunion and embracing and connecting right out in the open, like full out welcoming is so, so full of the essence of love. And unfortunately, so many of us take our time going the long way around. I know I have. (laughs) 
looking for love outside of self, looking for confirmation, looking for reassurance, looking for evidence that we're worthy of love by how others treat us, and then finding with any slight, any missed opportunity for affirmation or connection and our hopes can be dashed and our worst fears confirmed that we're, we're not lovable. And that is so tragic. That is so sad that we can fall prey to believing that that is true for even a moment. If you think about a baby, right? There's just aliveness there. There's just vitality and presence there. There is no need for that being to seek confirmation that they're lovable. Because at our essence, that's what we're made of. We're made of love. And then we, we get all messed up in our sense of understanding who we are as we learn and grow and bump into constraints and natural consequences of people being not at their best and being tired and being overwhelmed and being wounded themselves and unable to reflect correctly to us our worth, our value, and our lovability. And so through those dents and bumps and, you know, sometimes they're even micro injuries, but they add up. And sometimes they're major injuries and major disruptions. Like in the case of, you know, blatant neglect and abuse. And the, the tragedy is that we fall prey to believing that because we're not met with the loving kindness that we deserve, that somehow we're fallible and unworthy. And so our journey then becomes one of re-establishing that within ourselves, for ourselves. I'm reading the book, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. And I just love her teaching style. I love her research. And I love the way she is so thoughtful about language. And you can read any one of her books and you're going to get gobs of good stuff out of it. So I'm going to share what she's written about what love is. And she's basing this on the concepts that she has derived from really decades of interviewing people that have formed the basis of her understanding of what it means to live wholeheartedly. So she says, we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we nurture and grow, a connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists within each one of them. We can only love others as much as we love ourselves. Shame, blame, disrespect, betrayal, and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows and rare 
Wow. Powerful, right? So it's like we've got to go through the catacombs <laughs> of shame and blame, disrespect, betrayal, and the withholding of affection. Those experiences that we all have in common, you know, that's what binds us to our humanity. These injuries need to be acknowledged and healed. And if they are in a greater proportion than the nurturance of loving connection, we are going to need some help. We are going to need some big help. We, it's not something we can heal on our own. I have a lovely client who I'm coaching who was sharing very beautifully and very vulnerably how scary it is, how difficult it is to reach out and even ask somebody to help because just to ask for help and support engenders a feeling of powerlessness, helplessness, weakness, and fear, right? So what we need to do in the face of that fear and that uncertainty is to find the courage to reach out and to ask for some support, some guidance, some love, some help, some non-judgmental holding of us as we move through these, these fears that, that we're unworthy. And Brene Brown also says that wholehearted living requires both the sense of nurturing a sense of love and belonging and the belonging is very much connected to our experience of love. It is primal. It is in our DNA, right? Because to not belong, you know, is risking death, to be ostracized, to be cut off from our community. And this is how she defines belonging. It is the innate human desire to be part of something larger than us. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in and seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but often barriers to it, right? So I'm just going to pause there, right? So when we try to fit in, we are either sanitizing in our mind or projecting an aspect of ourselves that is not authentic. And when we do that, we sever our innate connection to our sense of self. And we're saying that's not acceptable. I have to present other than in order to be lovable. And that's just being a contortionist energetically. We're hurting ourselves and we're not even offering a foundation on which to base a true relationship. So this stuff takes so much courage, right? To be vulnerable, to be tender-hearted, to be open to being hurt and disappointed if we find that by being true to ourselves, we're not feeling seen and supported and loved and cared for. We're risking our sense of belonging. So that is a radical act of self-reverence to risk not fitting in in order to be true to ourselves. So back to Brene, she says, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Okay, so self-acceptance, 
How do we get there? How do you know when you're judging yourself, right? This is one of the concepts of mindfulness is non-judgment, which really I think is on a human level nearly impossible. (laughs) We either like some aspect of ourselves or life or we dislike it. And so acceptance is the balm. We catch ourselves judging. And then we have the opportunity to shift and to pivot and say, okay, so here's me saying something unkind to myself or about another person. Because obviously, if we are filled with self-judgment and self-loathing, we project it onto others and we see the imperfections in others and we don't accept it there. Because it's easier to reject it in others than to admit that we have that within ourselves. So it makes sense, right, that to heal means we go inward first and ferret out the places where we feel shame and lack and fear and unworthiness. And we bring a sense of acceptance. First of all, that that's our experience. That I'm feeling shame. I'm feeling less than. And what can I do in this moment to find peace within my heart, to find access to my own self-love. What does it take? So I notice as I'm pondering this, I'm sort of crossing my arms across my chest, kind of hugging my heart, holding myself close, moving in toward myself. So often we want to distract ourselves from something that's that scary and unpleasant. But the healing comes from first acknowledging that it's there. It's there in all of us. And then really gently moving toward that with an attitude of kindness and openness and curiosity. How is it that that could be there? Where, where's the proof, even, that any of that's true? Right? We gain our sense of self through the mirroring of how others treat us. So let's look at the quality of the mirroring. True mirroring can happen only when somebody is present themselves, open, loving, and available, and secure in their own sense of attachment and self-appreciation. So, you know, we're not going to have perfect mirroring. (laughs) So if we're going to doubt anything, instead of doubting our lovability, why not doubt the clarity of the mirroring that we've received? Maybe it wasn't true. Maybe the way that you were treated in fifth grade lunchroom was not based in fact that you were unworthy of joining the cool kids table, but more reflection of how fearful the cool kids were that if they did anything off script, that they'd lose their status. I remember, (laughs) I remember in fifth and sixth grade in gym class 
we had a combination of um, regular classroom and the special ed classroom. And we were gathered around the trampoline. And I was next to this young woman. Her name was Kim. There were two Kims in that class, and I befriended both of them. And I remember being so moved that, you know, they were smiling. They looked a little nervous. You know, they were kind of out of their little safe fishbowl that they had. And they're in, you know, integrated with all these other kids who they obviously know are more advanced academically and maybe have some better social skills. (laughs) Maybe not, but maybe some of them do. And I just was so moved by their courage to participate the way that they did. And I started conversing with them and getting to know them and befriending them. And one of the Kims and I became very close. We would spend, golly, a half hour, even an hour on the phone sometimes after school. And I remember there wasn't a lot of conversation. Sometimes I would just listen to her breathing because she didn't really know how to make conversation. And we would just hang out on the phone together. And what she really wanted was just loving and belonging. And I would invite her to my softball games and she would ride her bike all over town and she'd make it down to my baseball, my softball games. And we'd hang out afterwards and talk. And she'd always refer to me by my full name. Never just called me Lisa. It was always Lisa Love. Lisa Love, that was a good game. And that always touched me. I have goosebumps now. And afterwards, I think I was like 14, 13 or 14. And I got a job at Murray Ridge Day Camp, which was a camp for uh, developmentally delayed, um, multiply abled um, people. So I know there were people who had um, deafness and blindness, visually impaired. And it was just, it was just a confusing melee (laughs) for me as somebody really inexperienced in working with kids that were older than I was. There were some that were definitely younger and some that were older, you know, just all ages. And the camp director challenged us on orientation day that she was going to be able to come around to us unannounced at any moment, tap us on the shoulder and, and point out any one of these campers and say, tell me three good things about this person. What a powerful lesson that was to be able to look through the lens of wholeness and say, what can I appreciate about each one of these people? Because if I just looked at what to me at that point was so obviously a disability, what I thought was a disadvantage, or even something that made them scary and foreign, right? It was was so out of the realm of of what I knew that I, I could just be kind of freaked out and overwhelmed. But through that lens of what makes this person unique, what makes this person special, I found that I could really feel endearment towards these campers. Well, I called them campers. Towards these these young people. And find out 
what were the common commonalities? What were the ways that I could create fun and connection? And I think that that was really a turning point. She was showing us how to hold up the mirror of wholeness. And if you can do that for others, you can turn that same mirror towards self. So, back to, back to you, back to yourself. In what ways do you abandon your own true nature, your own deep drive and deep dive for belonging and love? How do you sell out? I used to put on you know, a certain outfit and makeup and, you know, really put attention on the outward packaging to make myself feel like I looked acceptable. Mortified, of course, when I had acne. So shameful for me. So embarrassing. As if it was my ugliness coming out. Right? So my invitation to you is to, to notice the ways that you disassociate yourself from your innate wholeness, your innate drive to know your own worth, to love yourself from the inside out, and from that place to love others, to look at what gets in the way of that. And once you notice it, to lovingly let it go. Just set it aside. It may be part of you, but it doesn't have to drive the bus. Just ask it to step in the back seat. That part of you that thinks you need to prove your worth. Prove how smart you are, how, how special you are, right? That, that word specialness, oh, that is such a separator. We are all unique. We are all deserving. You are not an exception. So what might you do today in service of nurturing loving and belonging, starting with self. My invitation to you would be to start in the mirror and really to stand there with that wholehearted lens of seeing your unique qualities with a tender heart, maybe even taking your hands, placing them on your face, with tenderness and kindness and being with yourself with no filter of judgment. Just drop the judgment. That's just a habit. It's a very bad habit that cuts us off from even sensing that we belong to ourselves. Let's nurture that self-belonging, that self-tenderness in as many, many ways throughout the day as you can. And I think what you're going to discover is you're going to recover your sense of aliveness and vitality and joy and effusiveness. And the doubt will begin to drop away. It won't ever be banished. Neither will the shame, perhaps. But we start with seeing through those filters into the essence, into the core. Because I know without a doubt who you are at your core. And I really, really pray and hope that you can sense it more fully with greater aliveness, greater certainty, 
and greater joy and wonder. You are a work of wonder, just like that newborn baby is. That is you, whole, glorious, beautiful bundle of love. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be kind to yourself today and every day. Big, brave, beautiful you. Tune in again next week for another episode of The Love Frequency.